I'm Kathy Bissell. Welcome to the Golf Show 2.0. We're extremely excited to have a guest that everybody recognizes. I'll just let Gary start with the first question. It's Davis Love the Third. Take it away, Gary. Oh, my first question was, who is this? But I guess that's all it <laughs> answered. It doesn't, you know, people always say a guy doesn't, he, this person needs no introduction, then they proceed to introduce him. But you really don't need an introduction. Hall of Famer, Davis Love. It's that time of year we're starting to really think about the Ryder Cup. You were captain at Hazeltine when the U.S. won, and now you're going to do. You're involved in renovating the golf course. Uh, I think we got to talk Ryder Cup first. We're on the eve of the picks and all that, but go back to Hazeltine and tell us a tell us a cute story, your inside story of what that win felt like for you. Well, it was um, a, a big win for the, the team. And, you know, back, um, you know, after the loss in 2014 over in Europe and an implosion of our team, um, a lot of stuff got out of our team room that should have gotten out. Um, a lot of um, anxiety and, um, you know, just basically frustration boiled over. And unfortunately, for Tom Watson, um, he was in the middle of all of it. But um, ever since then, we've been we've been working really hard to be better captains, coaches, team organizers, and then to we went to Korea in '15 with Jay Haas and had a nice win there in the Presidents Cup. And then you know we needed to win a Ryder Cup, and we put a lot of effort into it. The players put a lot of effort into it, and really went out there and made more birdies than I think any Ryder cup teams ever made, you know, Europe played great, but um, we were kind of in control the whole time. And then my biggest memory is just the, the relief and the excitement those guys had spraying champagne on that bridge by 18 green at Hazeltine. That, hey, we finally are back on the winning side of the Ryder cup. And um, I know all of us captains, assistant captains were just relieved that we finally got another win. Do you think the people who have been captains would always want to do it again? Or is it just so all consuming that you need some time to rest? Well, um, it's a big, big job. You know, the Ryder Cup um, as an event just gets bigger every two years. Um, the captain's job gets bigger every two years. You know, when I got to do it in 2012, I obviously thought that was my one shot. And we put a lot of effort into it. My wife, Robin, and I, um, we lived it for two years with the PGA of America and their great team. And after it was over, uh, it was obviously a disappointing loss. We thought that was our our time and our Ryder Cup journey. Um, so I was extremely um, nervous and, and humbled and blessed to get to do it again. Um, you know, that whole, um, we shouldn't have called it a, a task force but that committee that got together and kind of changed the direction the U.S. team was going in 2014-15, um, I was just honored that that group of players and captains picked me to do it again. Um, I was wow. extremely honored uh, that Jay Monahan and Tiger Woods uh, and the and the group picked me to be Presidents Cup captain in Charlotte last year. So um, I feel like I've had more than my share of turns. Hopefully. Um, this is my last Ryder Cup, and we can move on from uh, Davis Love, who needs no introduction to the players. But there's some some young guys like Zach and Stuart Sink, and we had Webster last year in Charlotte. There's some new guys that need to take over, 
and lead these teams. But it's been a great journey for me as, as captain and assistant captain. Even though you're a vice captain this time, I'm sure the ag- agony and the ecstasy and the nerves are, are probably the same. What's, what's it like to be a vice captain? Um, it's less stress. Um, uh, Zach Johnson didn't sleep real, real well last night, but I slept fine. Um, I didn't have to call <laughs> any players today, tell them they were off the team. It's a good, it's a great role for me. And, and both of y'all have known me, you know, my whole career. Um, yeah. I just want to, um, I would much rather be behind the scenes and making things happen. I remember when we went to um, Korea with Jay Haas's team and Jim Furyk was, was um, hurt and, but still came as an assistant captain. And he caught me plugging in golf carts late one evening um, <laughs> at our team facility. And he what are, you, what are you doing? I go, I'm charging the carts. He goes, don't they have people to do that? I said, do you see anybody around here doing it? I said, when we get up in the morning, our carts are going to start. And he goes, oh, I get it. This is what Davis does. I go, yeah. I take care of the things that make things happen. And I love doing that. You know, I, I live my whole life trying to do things for other people. Like my dad, a club pro, teaching pro, that's all he did his whole life was try to make people enjoy their golf and get better at it. That's all I want to do for this team for Zach is help them be prepared and play better golf. And I don't want any credit for it. I hate the speeches. I hate the phone calls. I hate the, um, the whole circus of being a captain, but I love helping them get out there and play. And, um, you know, Zach's doing a great job and, you know, Stuart Sink and I are, sitting here in Texas just waiting for him to tell us something to do and then we'll go do it if it's getting coffee or um, if it's making phone calls or just giving him advice he asked me a hundred times in the last 48 hours things that he should be ready for on these calls and this press conference and thing that's all I'm doing is just uh, experience and giving advice and now we can move on to uh, to making pairings and all the fun stuff of actually playing the matches what do you remember about uh, you, you mentioned phone calls in 2016? You had to make a great one to Ryan Moore and a tough one to Bubba Watson. Uh, can you recall that a little bit? And you, of course, you ended up uh, adding Bubba as a vice captain to the team, which he was pretty happy about. Yeah, you know, it seems like every um, Ryder Cup cycle, something changes, throws us a curveball. And that year, we were picking three players and announcing them the week before the tour championship. And then we were saving one pick, the Billy Horschel rule, um, saving one pick in case something dramatic happened at the tour championship. But we were going right from the tour championship to play the Ryder cup the very next week. In hindsight, that was a bad plan. (laughs) We should have just picked the whole team at once. But what happened was we, we, called three players, told them they were on the team. Um, Good luck at the tour championship. We'll make our next pick in a week. And then I screwed up and I didn't call guys like Bubba Watson and tell them, Hey, we picked these three guys, go have a good week at tour championship. We'll, we'll let you you know on Sunday. So Bubba actually called me and said, Hey, what's the deal? I haven't heard from you. And I, Oh, I'm sorry, Bubba. I, I screwed this up. I'll call you next week. Go win the tour championship, go win the FedEx cup you know, play well, you still got a shot. 
Well, then I had to call him a week later and say, by the way, you're number seven in the world and nine in points, but we're not picking you. And he's like, can you tell me why? Um, and I go, yeah, because Ryan Moore is playing great. He's putting great. Um, you know, he's going to be our last pick. And no offense to your game, but he really fits um, what we're what we're doing with pairings and, and fits the golf course. He goes, okay, great. Can I still come and be, be assistant captain? And I was blown away. You know, he wasn't mad about it. He understood. And um, I think we as captains get so worked up over the calls. Um, and the guys, I mean, to a man, all the calls I've ever made, sure, there's disappointment, but there's no defiance. There's no, all right, I'll be pulling for you guys. I'm going to make the next team. It's They've been really, really good. So Bubba was great. He was a great assistant captain we had a lot of fun um and you know his goal is as a player he wants to be in the hall of fame and he wants to be Ryder cup captain were two of his biggest things so unfortunately it looks like now um things have really changed with the landscape of, of golf and live and all that so i'm glad bubba got a shot to be with us uh, in 16 was it more gratifying that for you that ryan moore made the the winning putt or I recall reading the scene where Bubba came over to give you a hug afterwards and was sobbing on your shoulder, thanking you for letting him be a part of it. Um, Bubba and I both are good at when we try to give a speech or talk about something we're passionate about, we get teary eyed or just flat out break down crying. And um, so Bubba's running up to me on 17 green with Brant Snedeker because he was walking with Brant. And he came up to give me a hug, and I went, no, 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 no crying now. <laughs> we got we to gotta go back to the screen. It's going to end on 18. So I, I brushed him off that one. And we got up there, and you know, in 93, I made the last putt, and the crowd came out and rushed me and at the Belfry. And I never got my golf ball out of the hole. And so I was oh. waiting for Ryan to putt. I was waiting for Ryan to putt, and I wanted to see what, what happened with his golf ball. So he putted it up there, left it a little short, I think. So the matches are over. We win. Everybody runs out there. And I went around the crowd and came in and picked up Ryan's ball and put it in my pocket. And then I turned around, and now here comes Bubba. And he just broke down. I mean, literally, literally sobbing with emotion that he was a part of a Ryder Cup and – that's all he wants, wanted to do. He didn't really, really sure he wanted to play, but he just wanted to be a part of, of that Ryder Cup. And um, to get the win was incredible. Now, obviously, he got to play uh, the next year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, that's how much it means to these guys. You know, Brant, yeah. um, to see, see grown men like Steve Stricker, who, who are not even playing in the event, to break down crying because they're so passionate about it. And, um, you know, I get teary-eyed just talking about it, much less when we're at the Ryder Cup. Well, tell, tell, what, tell what us the punchline about the uh, Ryan's golf ball then. There's a, there's a punchline. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the punchline is that I told Ryan, I, I, whatever, we got back to the hotel, whatever, I said, hey, Brian, I lost my golf ball in 1993, so I rescued yours, and I gave it to him. And then he came back later that, you know what? You lost your ball. I want you to have mine. And wow, that's what the all about. It's, that's really nice. Uh, Davis, do you remember? 
Do you remember that? What was the most nervous you ever were at a Ryder Cup? Oh, easily the most nervous I was was the first tee in 1993. Um, you know, we had Tom Watson was our captain. I'm yeah. playing with my my mentor, Tom Kite. We've been planning on it all week, and we get to Friday morning, and there's a fog delay for like two hours, and um, I'm just sitting there getting more, more nervous. So we kind of had to walk around the building to get to the first tee, and we were on the other side, and we could hear the cheers. The people are anxious because they've been waiting hours for the matches to start, and we're starting to walk around the building for, for our match, and I pulled on Kite's sweater and said, hey, um, I think you should hit on the, the odd holes. And he goes, no, no, no. We had this plan. You're hitting off the odds. I go, yeah, I just figured out that number one is an odd hole. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hit. I can't do it. And he goes, no, no, you'll be fine. Come on. Hit me one out there in the fairway. And <clears throat> that was the most nerve. Once I got off course, um, I was okay. Um, but just waiting that anticipation for three or four days to hit my first ever Ryder cup shot with Tom kite. And we, Oh, by the way, we're playing Seve and Jose. So oh, um, not a, not a good, not a good way to start your Ryder cup career playing the Spanish Armada. Scotty Scheffler said that he was so nervous. He couldn't feel his arms. So I thought maybe you'd have a, have a good story also. <laughs> yeah. I've watched a lot of guys now since, my playing days watched a lot of lot of tee shots off the first tee at Ryder Cups, and you can literally see guys like Jordan Spieth, who are, you know, just unbelievable pressure players, get up there on the first tee, and they're just they're they're literally shaking. And part of it's excitement, but part of it's nerves. Um, you know, I remember watching Brooks at at Hazeltine every day on the first tee. He just hit this giant pull hook out into the tents every day because he was just so nervous and so jacked up that he couldn't slow down. And, but once you get him out on the golf course and that's what we're trying to stress to these guys is, Hey, we need, we need to be ready for this moment. Um, especially like a Wyndham Clark, we're going to go over there and play practice rounds and show him what it looks like with these huge grandstands and say to him, imagine all the noise, that's going to be here when you tee off on the first tee in a Ryder cup match on an away game. So it's, it's so nerve wracking. I always say it's like the last nine of the masters, except it's every shot all week long is like that. Like, you know, wow. you know that every shot is so important and, you know, it's a little different in Ryder cup than in just regular play because sure you're nervous for golf for results, but you're playing with your teammate and you're playing for your captain and you're playing red, white, and blue and all those things add up. And that's why these guys love it. Um, they love it because they love the pressure. Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay and Ricky Fowler and on and on. Those guys love to stand up in front of people and show off. And, you know, you're going to see our team tomorrow when Zach announces it. It's, it's a team of guys that will stand up big in moments like that. Like we kept asking ourselves, making these picks, who's going to make the putt on Sunday? Who's going to hit the seven iron coming down the stretch and hit it stiff in a match? Who are those type of players that have either done it before or we know can do it? And it's 
as Zach keeps saying, it's not the best 12 players available statistically. It's the best team camaraderie and team confidence and team cohesiveness that you're going to put together. And you're going to see the picks, and there's going to be some obvious guys that are playing better than other guys, maybe in FedEx or in the, <clears throat> in the points race. But it's about putting together two-man teams that can go out there and play under pressure. And um, I, I love this, this year's lineup. Um, we say it every year. We're, we've got a, a really, really strong team, and, they're, and most of them are playing great right now. Does the uh, golf course have any impact on who you might select? And uh, and we're going to know who they are, but what's what's this golf course like? None of us here in the U.S. probably know anything about it. Well, um, that's a great question, Gary, because that's what we as captains have learned. Rather than um, getting on a plane and going and seeing what, what the Belfry's like or what Valderrama is, is like, we're going early um, to play. Our analytics team that we've been using since 2016 has already been there a couple times and studied the golf course. <clears throat> they built a model of the golf course and plug it into all the shot link and kind of data that they have and see how our guys would play it. And with all these strokes gained and um, all these numbers that, that get produced by shot link, we can project not what type of player but how are each individual player, how does Lee Fowler or Sam Burns or Scotty Scheffler fit on this golf course? What are the strengths that, um, that they have in their game that'll fit? Um, it's, a, it's a different course than I think anything we played. Maybe leans a little bit towards the one in Paris, but um, it's probably generous fairways, not, not overly tight. But then you have a little bit of like whatever kind of bluegrass, regular rough that they're used to. But then it goes to that tall fescue stuff. So it's either like fairway, maybe you're okay, or it's you know possibly a lost ball. So you model in the guys that um that drive it well, guys that hit good iron shots from specific distances. Obviously, putting is important. But um, and then then if you have a guy that's strong in one thing and another guy that's strong in another thing they match up well on the golf course and alternate shot um there's a whole lot of analytics that go into it now that we we really didn't understand but then week in and week out you guys know that these guys they not only have a swing coach or a short game coach or a trainer or um a therapist they also have their own analytics people that help them study how to tear apart a golf course or where their weaknesses are in the game. So the generation that's used to, you know, using their track man, using technology, using analytics. So our analytics team will help them sort out where their strengths are and, and how to play the golf course. Neil well, we just had an analyst, not an analytic person. That's crazy. <laughs> we understand you're uh, doing a renovation to Hazeltine, Davis. Why would you want to touch it? <laughs> Um, well, because <laughs> they asked, um, they, okay. they, um, you know, Hazeltine has always been, um, looking to the future. You know, when they built that course, they built it to host major championships. They, they weren't thinking, oh, we'll just build a nice club. And then down the road, they decided that they wanted to have the U S open. Mm -hmm. They built it 
Um, one, because they love golf in Minnesota, and but they wanted to make it their mission to, to host tournaments. So now um, they've had a couple little tweaks here and there to the golf course over the years, but now infrastructure-wise, the stuff under the ground, we call it, has to be fixed. Yeah. Um, they okay. have a, a beautiful piece of property. They just want to take it to the next level. So we're just in a kind of a master planning stage. Um, you know, they got the U.S. Amateur next year. They have, they have other big tournaments that could happen before the Ryder Cup. So there's at some point between now and 20, uh, 27, 28, um, we're going to come up with a plan for what to do to the golf course. But um, they don't think a year or two ahead. They're thinking 2040. They're thinking U.S. Opens down the road. Um, you know, obviously they're going to be one of, I mean, maybe the only course in the United States that's had two Ryder Cups. Um, I guess maybe Whistling Straits might be on the docket for another one. But um, they're all in. They built a beautiful clubhouse years ago, and that, that was ready for the Ryder Cup in 16. And now they're going to um, take it to the golf course. It's not just the golf course. It's practice facility. It's a short course. It's uh, maybe cottages. You know, all kinds of ideas are getting thrown out there. And um, it's going to be a fun next year of us working on that master plan with them. I think I think you need to Y.E. Yang proof it is what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, got a great history of of strange strange outcomes there. I'm I'm glad that the 2016 Ryder Cup team had the expected outcome. Um, we're going to be shooting for that in 29. So, you know, obviously they have a short season, but they have a passionate membership that plays a lot of golf, does a lot of walking. Um, they love their golf course. So we, we need to make sure that we're preparing it for major championships, but that somebody has to play it the rest of the year. And we want to make sure that the members um, are thrilled, excited, eager to go play their golf course. It's gotten, um, it's gotten a little bit plain over the years. Um, it is a great golf course. It can be a stern test when they set it up for a major. But um, it's, it's just um, – it's gotten tired a little bit, and I think they, they realize that. Their clubhouse was tired, so they tore it down and built a new one. Um, I always say we're going to spend, you know, whatever the number is, millions of dollars, but most of the money goes under the ground, you know. It's drainage, irrigation, infrastructure. It's roads, um, especially for a major championship. You got to think about hospitality tents. You got to think about moving people around the golf course. Um, there's a lot of this money that is going to get spent. That the members are going to wonder where did it go, and it's it's hard to see yeah, what's remember, under the ground. I remember a couple of bottlenecks but, um, out there spectating the events. So yeah, I can see where when you say you're moving some things around or the it gets congested because it does, and that course I remember particularly. Don't you, Gary? Yeah, they have. A well, I, rem I remember property. There's probably. Go ahead. There's probably room for 36 holes out there on that piece yeah. of property. Oh. Um, the reason why Carrie from the Bay of America or the USGA like it is because they have a lot of room to put a lot of stuff in there. Um, you can build a cup and, and make it the biggest tournament ever because they have enough room. But, but Kathy's right. You, 
you get down there near the lake and it bottlenecks, you know, you yeah. saw in the Ryder Cup, they changed the routing. They used um, seven, eight and, and nine as as 16, 17 and 18 to get the bottlenecks out of the way where the matches were going to end. So yeah. we have to factor that in our plan. So, you know, there's a lot of great golf course architects out there, but I'm in the tournament operations business at the RSM Classic. I have been yeah. on <laughs> and captained a lot of of Ryder Cup President's Cup teams and we understand the challenges of of a of a tournament. Um, we also <laughs> um, have a lot of experience um, in great golf courses and what we like to play and where they play major championships. So um, and honestly we've had maybe 30 or 40 different clients in our golf design business. I have never seen a club a board more structured and organized and prepared. They have a great team there. Chris Tritabaugh, their um, green superintendent that's been there probably 15 years that I worked with on the 16 Ryder Cup. Um, he's one of the best in the business. Um, their, their new club manager um, is really thinking long term about this for this club and for, for majors. So I, it's a great team. And that's, that's what we want to be involved with is somebody that has that vision and has that passion and commitment. They don't want to just say, Oh, Hazeltine is nice. We'll just keep doing the same old thing. No, they, they want to be the place to play golf in the Midwest. They want it to be a destination, you know, like going to, to Bandon Dunes or Sand Valley or, or, you know, now <laughs> everything around Augusta all these cool places to play golf. They want people to see Hazeltine in that light. Like we, we need to go play there because that's an incredible golf course. Yeah. Now, if you can do something about the industrial strength of mosquitoes, I think that would be the most important thing. <laughs> they, uh, they have a lot of lakes in Minnesota. <laughs> I don't know if we can stop them. <laughs> and so, do you, do you anticipate making a significant change? I mean, really changing a whole dramatically, or just making everything look better? Maybe it's too early to say, but anything like that? No, yes, it'll be a dramatic. It'll be a dramatic difference. Um, they have everything they need there, um, except for um, you know that golden age, or that um, you know you you look at what. Bo Welling and um, Gil Hans and Andrew Green and Core Crenshaw. You just look at the stuff that they're doing um, and the stuff that, frankly, that, that we've put out recently. Um, it's not rocket science, but Hazeltine doesn't look like any of those golf courses. Yeah. Um, we just saw like Oak Hill. Oak Hill was um, incredible. Was incredible so what what we do if gary and Kathy want us to build a golf course we come to you and say look here are the places that they're hosting major championships here are the places that you know mike kaiser's building that everybody has to go play here are the places that um people they want to go see wingfoot they they want to play chicago golf club how can we get in seminole um I want to play Pebble Beach, or, and then while I'm there, I want to play Cypress Point. The places we clamor to play um, is should be our inspiration. And you know, okay. Pete Dye, 
um, had an incredible style. Ben Crenshaw has an incredible style. And Hazeltine just doesn't have a personality now because it's changed so much over the years. You know, the first time they played there, the players hated it. And yep. there are a lot of dog legs. And ever since then, it's been changed and tweaked and changed and tweaked. But it's never had a vision of what Hazeltine should be. So we went to the University of uh, Virginia to renovate their their um, facility up there for the team and for the resort, the Borsehead Resort. And we said, it's a 200-year-old university. It should have a classic style looking golf course. Sea Island um, has the, the, um, the seaside course that's you know, a lot of marsh and a lot of a windswept, linksy looking place. We felt like their other golf course should look like it had been there for a long, long time. Should have those golden age um, Seth Rayner looking features. So at Hazeltine, we need to come up with as a team, um, what should what was originally Hazeltine's intent? What should it look like? Um, it shouldn't look like Pebble Beach. It probably shouldn't look like Seminole but it should be something with the details of golden age architecture, the things we've come to love. You know, you play Pete Dye golf courses and when you start really thinking about it, you go, Oh yeah, that's actually his version of a Redan green. Yes. That's actually his version of a punch bowl or railroad ties. He didn't invent railroad ties in bunkers. You know, he got that from Presswick and some of the cool places in Scotland. So our inspiration really for Hazeltine and a lot of the places that we do work is what are the golden age things that we love to play and how do we put that, keep the tradition of Hazeltine and, and their, their club, but give it that, that golden age or that um, classic architecture look that everybody just loves. Like we all say, I didn't play Oak Hill, but holy cow, it looked great on TV. Um, yeah. Uh, Oak Hill, Oak Hill might be, might be our best major championship site, not counting Augusta. It, it's it's better than Oakmont. It, it's incredible. And Oak Hill, I mean, uh, Hazeltine has that same potential. It's that course is is already that good. So you could really, yeah, this could really be a you know yet another thing for your resume. It looks going to look pretty good. Well, they, they, they have again. Their 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 club. Um, management their um their board their club president they're on it we're just a, a part of a great team it, it'll be a great outcome um we're looking forward to the to this master planning stage and we've already become friends with them obviously i had a leg up out there because i was there a lot in 2015 and 2016 um but we have a lot of great friends there um it's gonna be a fun project and uh, you know it might need to be one that we actually um, like this Netflix thing that's going on in golf, we need to f maybe film this because um, it's a big, t it's a big time job, and we're we're proud to be a part of it. You know, I can give you the title, stealing it from a John Gary series at Sports Illustrated. You can call it this old course. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, it was great having you. It was it was great having you here today, Davis. I think we probably need to wrap it up, don't we, Kathy? She's the boss. Well, we probably do. And thank you for so much of your time. We're going to do the shameless plug. Shameless plug. Subscribe now. It's free. <laughs> All you'll do is maybe get alerted when it's published and uh, posted. Uh, click like. 
our goal, as I've said many times, we're trying to get enough viewers so we each earn 17 cents in revenue. So we're we're closing in on that. So thanks for watching, Davis. <laughs> thanks for being part of this. Thanks for taking on this Hazeltine project. I can't wait to see it. I hope I hope I can still break 90 by the time you get done. <laughs> and best of luck I in the Ryder Cup. I hope so too. Yeah, go USA. Thanks a lot. You bet.